Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Hello once again, and welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lee. In today's show, Mitch Light of The Athletic joins us. Mitch and I will talk Vanderbilt baseball, but first, basketball. Mitch Light appears today on our guest line. The guest line is presented by Bowl and Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bowl and Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to bowlandbranch.com. That is spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code VANDY and get $50 off your first set of sheets. The news today presented by our friends at Sutherland and Belk, a Nashville-based injury law firm. Sutherland and Belk is committed to fighting for those who have been injured in car, motorcycle, and truck accidents. Check them out at sbinjurylaw.com. The Commodores, of course, went to Starkville on Saturday and got a win. Next up, the Kentucky Wildcats. Vanderbilt faces UK and Nashville on Wednesday evening, weather permitting. That one's scheduled to tip off at 6 Central at Memorial Gymnasium. The title sponsor of our podcast this year is Jody Jones DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after dental and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. He's earned the title of number one in Nashville for his cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique luxury environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spy-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many artists, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate results to all of his patients. He never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Thank you to Jody Jones DDS for making this season of the podcast possible. Mitch Light joins me today from The Athletic, where he's a college football editor. We are running this on Monday afternoon, or excuse me, recording this on Monday afternoon. We will air it probably Tuesday morning. Mitch, hope you're doing well. I don't know what the weather is like in your neck of the world, but I haven't seen this much frozen sleet and rain in a long time. I don't think, for whatever reason, we ever get snow in Franklin anymore, but my goodness, we're getting ice today, and it's starting to make me wonder if it's going to cause some difficulties with sports this week. Uh, yeah, well, since I probably live only about 15 miles from you, it's safe to say the weather is pretty much the same here. So, yeah, pretty nasty. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just uh, haven't been outside, don't plan on being outside. And it, it's throwing, my, my son was supposed to have his first day of high school baseball practice today. So needless to say, that that's not happening. They don't have an indoor facility. They don't. They usually go in the gym when the, there's inclement weather, but the bas- it's a, he goes to MLK High School and the basketball team has practice, uh, yeah, although, although their practice is probably canceled because of uh, 
um, all, all the uh, inclement weather. So yeah, it's, it's funny because real quick yesterday, people were saying, don't go out on the road, don't go out on the road. Um, it was all icy and I, I had to drop something off to my daughter who lives in an apartment right off Vanderbilt campus. And I went and it was at no problems at all. But uh, today I would not venture out. Oh, it was bad down in Franklin from Sunday morning on. Uh, okay. Yeah, it, it was. The problem is the ground has gotten really cold here. And so there was just this drizzle for about 24 hours and it wasn't much of it. But everything that was on the pavement was freezing. But anyway, uh, I'll tell you what wasn't freezing was Vanderbilt shooting in Starkville, especially to start that one. Probably the best game the Commodores have played in the Jerry Stackhouse era. Do you think that's fair? Um, I would say LSU, considering the opponent last year, although we, I think we recently talked about it, Chris, that, that LSU is that LSU team at 8-0 um, was not, you know, a legit, you know, 8-0 SEC team. Their, their schedule wasn't that difficult to start the season. So, but but for Vanderbilt to, to win last year uh, as the, in the manner it did against LSU might be the best win of the Jerry Stackhouse era. I've already forgot your question. If it was the best game they've played, I think you could argue that. Just uh, very thorough from start to finish. Even when Mississippi State, you know, Vanderbilt jumps up ahead, uh, Pippen hits three straight threes, and they, they might have tied the game at 15, 15 or whatever. Seven. Like I just said to my sons, Vanderbilt's getting such good shots at the basket. And I always use this phrase, probably said it a hundred times on the podcast. One of my, one of my favorite Kevin Stallings phrases was, you know, the game of basketball often comes down to the quality of your shot versus the quality of your opponent's shot. And, and Vanderbilt was just getting very good looks and they were hitting threes, but they were open. Um, moving the ball. I thought they had a great defensive game plan, uh, the trapping, everything about it was just very thorough. Uh, jumped at the, took control late second half and really never, you know, I don't know how close Mississippi State got again. I mean, it was never one of those where you thought anything was close to being in danger. Well, and that's maybe the reason I say it's their best game. Was LSU last year better than State this year? Yes, of course. But the game was on the road. It's a game where they played earlier and lost. And, and State, frankly, did some things that I thought were a bad matchup for them. Uh, they really pounded them in the paint, not just with – Yes, not just with size, but with penetration from the guards. But one thing I thought Jerry did well, I don't know that they're a team that you look at and say, oh my goodness, their they're traps are killer because of their athletes, but they made it work. And I think one thing they did was they took State out of rhythm. They didn't give them those half-court looks where you can just penetrate the lane and, and do things at will like they did last time. They disrupted their rhythm. And... The reason I say I think it's their best game, defense is where they've struggled. Well, they hold State to 51 points, and that's a pretty gifted offensive club. That's why maybe LSU was the best win he's had, but I think this one at least belongs in the discussion because of the way they made it happen. Yeah, I'm looking. Uh, Mississippi State shot 51, 52% in the first half, but only 32%. Turned it over 17 times, and I thought – I thought the beginning of the South Carolina game this year, South Carolina was very sloppy. You know, you never know who to credit and who to blame, but uh, I thought South Carolina was very sloppy, which led to a lot of Vanderbilt turnovers. I thought this game, Vanderbilt's being the aggressor, led to those turnovers from Mississippi State. And, um, you know, you don't have to hold what's the final percentage. I don't, um, 
42. Okay, so that's good. I mean, that's where you want to be, but you, you don't necessarily have to hold the team to 40% shooting um, if you're going to force a lot of turnovers. Um, and that's kind of what happened in the first half. Like Vanderbilt's up 15, even though Mississippi State shot 52%, it was because of the turnovers. And, you know, just looking at the box score, I think they've done a better job of limiting minutes. Now it's easier to do that when you have a lead the whole time, but Scotty Pippen led the team with uh, 30, all basically 33 minutes. Um, amazing. And we've talked about Chris, you know, the plus minus in college basketball or any basketball is, is can be dangerous because of, you know, who else is in the game with you and, and factors beyond your control, but Vanderbilt starters plus minus 23, 22, 21, 23, 20, very consistent, you know? So just, uh, um, just the, the rotations were tight and solid. One thing that um, is was educate Obena hurt because he did not play. Um, uh, uh, Quentin Malora Brown, who did not play coming back for his first game, did not play earlier in the week. And I would think that Edge would be ahead of him in the rotation. So I don't know if he was dinged up or something. I was wondering about that too. I don't have an answer there. But yes, I noticed the plus minus the same thing that you did in the minutes, of course. Their starters play. Evans plays 31, Pippen plays 33, Brown plays 31, DeSue plays 32, Wright plays 25, Harvey leading minutes guy off the bench with 15, and Melora Brown plays 10. Studi, Thomas, and McBride all play between 7 and 9 minutes each. So, yeah, reduced bench roll, and those guys didn't really contribute much of anything at all. In fact, I'm looking. But didn't hurt them. Like, I remember there was a stretch there when Pippen was out Pippen and DeSue were out in the first half, and the lead, I don't know if it extended, but it, they, they didn't, you know, didn't lose the lead. Yeah, I mean, Harvey was plus one, Melora Brown, zero, Studi minus three, Thomas minus two, McBride, zero. So, yeah, I mean, basically a, a draw, which I think is a big victory for them. But I know we'll talk about Evans in a minute and Cleavon Brown because those guys get their due, but to me – the thing that predicts whether they are going to be in a game with a chance to win it or not is Scottie Pippen's ball handling because we've seen some five and six turnover games where the assist numbers maybe are less than the turnovers. He gets nine assists and four turnovers in addition to the 18 points, and nine of those 18 came in the first, what, two minutes and 10 seconds. But to me, that may have been the key thing. When he is dishing out assists to turnovers at that rate, that's probably – as big a predictor as to whether they'll have a chance to win is any stat that you can pull from any player. Yeah, and we have seen as the season has progressed and they're getting healthier and more complete and that Scottie Pippen is, doesn't feel as much of the offensive burden. Now, he took 15 shots, that's a lot, but you know he, he hit three threes to start the game. It's, it's what you saw last year with Saban Lee a lot and at points earlier this year with Pippen feeling like he, and rightfully so, probably needing to be such a big part of the offense, or basically the whole offense. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is Vanderbilt seniors played well. You know, Cleavon Brown and Max Evans were outstanding, and if they could have gotten that type of production from those two guys all year, this is a completely different team. And Cleavon Brown, I don't know if he just, and now it's interesting because he, he has been banged up in the last two or three, like the Auburn game, five blocks, he looked like you know, the, the athletic Cleavon Brown we saw earlier in his career. Now, I think uh, Dave Neal announcer said that he's still dealing with some sort of abdominal injury. I don't know if he misspoke there, but uh, the, the light bulb is, is clearly turned back on for Cleavon Brown. He looks like a different player. 
Yeah, I mean, that was where I was going to go next. Brown had a five-block game two games ago and now a five-steal game. So we talked about defense as just the part that they have not been able to figure out, and they didn't have a rim protector. It's a two-game sample size, right? And post guys tend to get in foul trouble, and so I don't know how much this, I guess, is something they can rely on going forward. But for what we know, he's now had two games in a row where he's really been a factor on defense, and it's very much changed the complexion of that end of the floor for them. Yeah, and he's been very active just off, you know, rolling to the basket. Um, that's just an outlet for Scottie Pippen, the, the pick and roll. And when, you know, he's being effective, it's, it's it, you know, a couple times Mississippi State just totally botched, you know, poor defensive communication. And he's he's the type of guy that if you get him the ball three feet from the, four feet from the basket, rolling to the basket, he's going to dunk it. And we, we saw that. And he it wasn't a three because his foot was on the line, but he hit basically a three. I think he went three for three from the foul line. So, yeah, just, uh, and, and it's, just happy to see it. Seems like, you know, I don't know, Cleveland Brown, by all accounts, seems like a really good kid. He's had um, a lot of bad luck with injuries in his career. Probably not the player we thought he could be. And I'm, I'm sure this is his fifth year. I, I doubt he really wants to come back. But with that free year of eligibility, in theory, he does, still does have another year of eligibility. Here's a stat for you. Cleveland Brown had 16 points all year coming to that one, and he gets 15. Yeah, I mean, that's... It, it, if talk about the scouting report, not showing up on the scouting report. I remember a few years ago, it might have been his freshman year, Educa Obena hadn't played much and went down to Starkville and had maybe eight or ten points. And I remember Ben Howland commenting about it, like like basically who is this guy? We didn't we didn't account for this guy. And um yeah, it just uh hopefully he can stay healthy. And and one thing I, I think Jerry Stackhouse has done a good job is letting his older guys keep giving them opportunities. Like Max Evans, you know, came out of the starting lineup, but he's even when Max's struggles, he's kind of force-fed him into the lineup. And he's and he said Cleavon has been playing well in practice, so it's not like he didn't deserve to start. But he has he, he I think he realizes that he team needs these guys to be good, and they have been really good the last couple of games. And you know Max Evans' shooting numbers over the last three or four games have been uh, fabulous. Any thoughts on the matchup with Kentucky? Um, you know I haven't seen. A ton of Kentucky. I just haven't watched as much college basketball as I normally do this year. Obviously, I saw the Vanderbilt game. I saw the the, the Kentucky-Tennessee game. Uh, Kentucky appears to be playing better. You know, beat Auburn, um, gave up a lead, then then rallied late. I mean, if you go by how Vanderbilt played up at Rupp, there's no reason Vanderbilt can't play with them or beat them at home. Um, you know, I think a lot of it will come down to how can Vanderbilt guard Olivier Saar, which they fouled him way too many times last game, put him to the line a ton that the difference in that game was, um, you know, Kentucky getting easy points at the foul line and, um, you know, maybe Cleveland's reemergence will, will help. One thing with all of those guys healthy, Vanderbilt has at least 15 fouls to give at the center position. Hopefully educates healthy. I should you know, we don't know because he didn't play the other day with Muller or Brown back. That's three, you know, legitimate big guys. At least they can throw at, throw at him. So I think that will have to be the key. And, you know, free throw shooting, I'm not saying Vanderbilt deserved to beat Auburn, but this has been a good free throw shooting team. And what they go, like 11 for 22 in that game? If they, they shoot like they normally do, that, that might have been a different game. Yeah, and speaking of fouls, they only fouled State nine times, two or four from the line. So that's a big plus for them when a, a home team gets two points from the foul line. You've got to like your chances of winning all things being equal. 
yeah, and um, I mean, I'd have to go back and look, but I state just didn't for having a lot of big guys. They just didn't seem overly aggressive driving the ball to the basket. And, um, you know, looking back in the first off the top of my head, the first state game, you know, DJ Stewart, they, they hit Vanderbilt with a lot of obviously they did a great job getting to the basket with their guards, but they also had a lot of mid mid range jumpers um, in this game. Yeah, it just looked looked like a just a completely different Mississippi State team. Any more basketball talk? Because I wanted to move on to baseball for a minute before we do the mailbag. Any more thoughts on basketball that we didn't discuss just then? Not really. Um, it just kind of goes back to what we've talked a lot about this year is, you know, every every school has faced this in different degrees, whether it was in the off season or earlier in the season. Um, yeah, I, I hope – they can stay healthy and there's no more cancellations and can play a couple more weeks with this lineup, you know, being healthy now that they've established a rotation. If the seniors continue to play well, um, not saying this team's going to reel off five straight wins or anything like that, but they've got a chance because the schedule got to play LSU, got to play Alabama schedule gets hard. Um, but you know, there's a few clunkers in there, but, but dating back a couple of weeks, they're, they're clearly playing more consistent basketball than they were earlier in the year. Yeah, really from the last few minutes of the Florida game on, it's been a lot different, at least more consistent. I mean, the games they've lost, they haven't lost by much, haven't always played well, but it sort of has been since the last, I don't know, seven or eight minutes of that Florida game in Gainesville, it does seem like it's been a bit of a different team. And maybe that's opposition. I mean, it's not been a murderer's row lately, but you can only play the schedule in front of you. Yeah, and I, I just think it's continuity too. And um, I don't think we can discount the, the third score emerging, uh, someone like Max Evans. Just There's not as much pressure on Scottie Pippen and Dylan DeSue. Um, Jordan Wright has been, you know, he scored three points the other day, but he has been, uh, you know, a consistent, uh, consistent guy. You know, Jordan Wright to me is, is a really good sixth or seventh man on a, on a really good team. You know, I don't know if um, – he, he's going to be a starter on an NCAA tournament team. You know, hopefully for Vanderbilt, that will be the case in the next few years. Uh, but I really like a lot of things he brings to the table. Let's hit baseball for a bit. I don't know how much you've been able to keep your ear to the ground lately on that. The concern that I've been hearing is hitting. Now, look, the pitching is going to be lights out, and we can get into that. But what are you hearing as, as you ask in around in terms of expectations for this year? Yeah, I mean, that was the concern last year, too. Um, it really did not see the consistent hitting heading into the SEC, which we never got to the SEC. Um, the pitching, you know, on paper is better than it is um, last year, just because pretty much everyone's back and it's, a, you know, a year older and the guys they did lose weren't as effective last year, like, you know, Tyler Brown earlier in the year. Um, so, you know, I... I Looking at the lineup, the potential lineup, I, I think if Isaiah Thomas, you know, I think he's, would you agree, he's probably, him and Cooper Davis are the known quantities. Like, I know Isaiah hasn't played a full SEC schedule um, in his career, but he's given been given spot starts, and for what he was doing last year, I, I think we're pretty clear that Isaiah Thomas and Cooper Davis can be legitimate SEC hitters. If you add in Dom Keegan playing like we've heard he can play, and then maybe one other guy where it's a Jason Gonzalez coming back or Parker Nolan, somewhere like that. I think you can get, if you can get four or five legit hitters, it's not going to be the team from 2019, but Vanderbilt's had some teams in the Tim, some really good teams in the Tim Corbin era where 
you really only knew what you were getting from three or four guys offensively, and, and th- that this might be one of those teams. Yeah, I think that's a good way to start it. I think Cooper Davis is going to be a 430, 440 on base guy at the top of the lineup. I feel like with Thomas, even though we've not seen him much, it seems to me like it's very much a Jaron Kendall offensive game. Without that kind of maybe top-end speed, but what I mean by that is a, a big power, big strikeout guy. I think that's what you're going to get from him. Maybe he can be a little better in the contact element that he's been. Other than that, I don't want to overuse the term wild card everywhere else, but my goodness, none of these kids started at the end of 2019 in the national title year, and I don't know how else you put it, right? I mean, I mean that's they, what Tip Corbin's yeah. been saying. He's been saying, he's like, you know, we don't have any guys who've done it in the SEC, basically. Now, getting Jason Gonzalez back, and Jason's been very, you know, inconsistent in his career, so I, I don't think he's a guy you can just pencil in and say, yeah, we can put him in third base or DH and bat him sixth and not worry about him. I don't think that's the case. I mean, hopefully he has a really good senior season. Um, there's there's other guys, like I mentioned, Parker Nolan that we and Tate Colwick that we've, we've heard good things about, and we've seen them in spots, but... Yeah, I mean, not not to be a Mr. Cliche or a coach, but getting it done in, in SEC weekends is, is a lot different than getting it done in pre-conference play. I think this is what it boils down to me. I feel like they will get at least serviceable hitting out of Carter Young and C.J. Rodriguez. I'm not quite as sold on Rodriguez as a hitter as everyone else is because I want to see him hit it harder than he does. But I think there's a lot He's of confidence. Yeah, I mean, he was good, uh, but but not a lot of hard contact. And I think that's got to be something that where he's got to have an uptick. I, I say that. I may be selling those kids short. I'm trying to say, as a baseline, I expect those guys to be serviceable hitters in a minimum and probably better than that. But what I'm getting at is I feel like the wild cards to me that matter are the right side of the infield. Because I feel like if Keegan and Colwick hit, as they have in practice at times, and look out, you're looking at a team that's got a chance to be pretty good offensively. To me, that's where the variables that matter the most lies at those two spots. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, you know, I don't know if we're going to morph into talking about pitching. Um, I, I'd rather have a team that, you, you know, as much as offense is fun and all that stuff, I'd rather have a team that's has all the far more known quantities in pitching. Uh, for an SEC weekend and, and kind of maybe you rely on some some young guys hitting-wise than, than vice versa because sometimes you, you can throw out a guy, and we've seen it on some really good Vanderbilt teams, some young pitchers you throw out there on the weekends and they're just not ready. So um, uh, definitely intrigued by the lineup, what happens and, and how long it takes Corbin to, to solidify a lineup because we know he likes to tweak things. A lot of times the lineup you get in the first two months is, is far different than the one you get as they're heading into postseason play. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think most years that's the case. I'm trying to think if there's any year yeah. where maybe the, the, the 19, I think when Cooper Davis got hurt, right, and eliminated him from the picture for about a month, and he came back, and there was just no place for him to play because they really, you know, it was kind of one of those boring things. You usually wait for them to tweet out the lineup and see what's see what the lineup is for that day, but I think it was literally like the same lineup every day for like the final two months of the season. Yeah, but my point is, even in there, you know, there yeah. was a change, right? And, and Davis didn't lose a job. It's just everybody in that lineup hit, and someone had to sit, and he was the guy that drew the short straw. And I'm thinking in 11, maybe they had a change at second base, uh, or maybe Riley Reynolds played that whole year. But point is, even on some of their veteran teams, 
you see a, a change. Like, the, okay, the, um, goodness, what was it? The 13 of the 14 team where Xander Wheel makes himself a factor towards 13. the end of the year. I mean, there's almost always 13, one guy, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it was 13 team because uh, Connor uh, Greg, Gregor got benched or something or one game at Georgia and then Xander Wheel went in and basically stayed in the lineup for the next year and a half. Yeah, and I think Gregor got bumped. Maybe two and a half years. <laughs> maybe to DH at that point. Yeah. And I, I can't remember yeah. who got knocked out. But there's there's always this domino effect. That's what got Cooper Davis last year. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And I'm trying to think where it would come. I mean, third base is the wild card. I think Parker Nolan is going to win that job uh, with Gonzalez being the backup. And I, I thought, well, okay, Gonzalez will get DH at bats. I think they really like Jack Bolger from what I'm hearing. So I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting. Um, it, it seems like that's how they're going to roll out of the gate with Nolan at third. And Colwick at second. Tate's kind of played all over the field and was a shortstop in high school. I think that's just the the thing that his bat's been so good in practice that it needs to be in there, and that's probably one of the the weak spots they have. I mean, I think they had some guys that they thought might, might be able to do the job in the fall but just didn't get to where they needed to be. And, and Colwick's bat's been so good in practice that they've got to find a spot for him, and that's kind of where he's settled from what I understand. Yeah, uh, I'd have to go, we could go year by year, but it seems like second base is the one position where every year there's just, there's a question mark. And I don't know, maybe it's because there's not a lot of natural second basemen who come into college because you're a shortstop if you're that good of an infielder. But like, we never thought Harrison Ray, when he was playing as a freshman, if you would have told me Harrison Ray would have been like a second base starter on a national championship team. Uh, obviously, Dansby Swanson was a natural because, you know, he's a great shortstop, but you, you had a uh, Vince Condi, so you slide him over. It just seems like every year it's just, they're trying to plug someone in the second base. Yeah, well, I mean, Tony Kemp slides over to second in yeah. the middle of the year one year. It, 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 that's a good point. It's been like that. I haven't thought about it, but I have to think the... Um, there were some Steven Scott rumors a couple of years ago. Too, oh, second. my goodness. I don't know if I wanted to see... It. Well, yeah, I would like to see that, just to see if he yeah. could have pulled it off. Well, I mean, they've talked about Jason Gonzalez at second. I mean, I have a, yeah. I have a hard time seeing it, but... Um, Anyway, it is what it is, and and then there's the pitching, right? <laughs> it's pretty good. I, I hear, I hear that they've got some talent. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, a lot was made of some of the freshman right-handed pitchers last year, and it, you know, it, if you let me ask you this, I, I don't know the answer to this. If you took Rocker and Lighter off of the team, it would still be one of the top two or three pitching staffs in the, in, in the league, right? Top two or three might be pushing it, but, but it might, but it might not. I mean, we just we just don't know. We didn't get to see those guys. I mean, they could go, they could go Schultz, Ethan, Ethan Smith. Smith. I mean, that's in Laboki, so probably. I mean, that, that kind of sounds absurd because yeah. the reason I hesitate, you've got great arms here. in this league, right? Yeah, and so you you've got to stack them up against everybody else. I mean, I'm thinking of the staffs that you might take to them. You know, Florida, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, but I mean, Mississippi State's got a talented staff, but those guys haven't proven a lot overseas in either. So, I mean, yeah, you can make the argument that even under those circumstances, and, and here's this, what if, boy, if Mason Hickman doesn't get picked at the end of the draft, then it's really crazy this year. Yeah, yeah, and obviously I mentioned Christian Little, you know, probably not a lot expected of him early in the year at least, but I've heard some good things about him. and. 
Um, just a, a lot of options, and you know, we'll see what happens with Ethan Smith, whether he's a Sunday starter or maybe he could even close, depending on Hugh Fisher coming back from um, Tommy John. So it is uh, it's going to be interesting, and you know, the roster is bigger this year because of isn't it? I mean, they're above the 36 because they don't have to be at or whatever 35. So there's going to be even more guys fighting for spots there. So it, it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to watch. Well, the thing that people don't talk about as much is that bullpen, right? Because everybody talks lighter, rocker, and rightfully so, right? But you look at the arms, they're going to have Laboki and Doolin, and they get Fisher back. He's throwing pretty hard. Smith's going to be in there. Luke Murphy has really flashed some big things at times. You know, the consistency is the issue. But you also add in another step, right? I think lighter and rocker kids are going to go into the seventh inning most weeks. So then you can really choose your spots with what's a really talented bullpen. That might be the area of the team that people aren't talking about enough because the hitting's the question. The rotation is just out of this world. And so I think they get lost in the middle, but that bullpen has got a chance to be special too, I think. And when you can use them in, in, in really in, in good spots and not have guys overworked and, and pick your spots, it probably makes them even more lethal there. Yeah, and, and we have seen some good but not great Vanderbilt teams recently really struggle in the bullpen after one or two reliable arms. So that's what that that's what the, the difference is with this group. And it didn't come to fruition, but when there was speculation or rumor that the SEC, when they're screwing up the schedules, might go to four game weekends, we, you know, with all the travel concerns and stuff, I thought that'd be a very good thing for Vanderbilt because the more games you pack into a weekend, the more pitching matters, and and no one's as deep. You know, there might be. Uh, like you said, there's some other teams with very good staffs, but I, you know, I don't know everyone's roster, but I'd be surprised if anyone's as deep as Vanderbilt. Well, it would have been good for Vanderbilt, I think. I believe it would have been bad for the league. I mean, you're hearing talk of 11 or 12 regional caliber teams, and by the way, uh, Missouri and Kentucky are pretty excited yeah. about their chances too, and those are the teams that aren't getting mentioned. I think that would have really screwed with the number of NCA bids because you're going to see if they have a 40 game schedule, you're going to see some good teams going 15 and 25, and it just wouldn't be enough games out of conference for some of those teams to get their head above water, you know, assuming the NCAA would consider a team with that kind of record. I would have loved to have seen it just from a curiosity standpoint, but but I'll bet you in some corners of the SEC there was a sigh of relief that they didn't settle there because I think that would have cost them some NCAA bits down the line. Yeah, and I mean, it would have been interesting and intriguing, whatever the word you want to use, but it, it's better. I mean, three-game series, and I, I really enjoy the, the current format of college baseball with the, the weekend games and then the midweek non-conference games. So it's better that they're at least going to try and get a normal schedule in. Are you ready for the mailbag? As I always say, do I have a, do I have a, do I have a say in it? You, you don't, but I just say it to sound nice. Okay. So. I, I can't wait. <laughs> you sound very excited about this. Yeah. Well, anyway, the mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood who can take care of your insurance needs. Call him today, 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at joshumintonhq or at facebook.com forward slash jvmintonhq. He's my insurance agent. Give him a try. Tell him you heard about his business on the Vandy Sports Podcast. Ann Arbador says through the Mississippi State game, 73% of the points have come from freshmen and sophomores. 
regardless of who's coaching, would you guess that the ceiling of such a team is if none of these freshmen or sophomores are reasonably expected to leave early for the NBA or the D League? I think what he means, obviously, is the G League, and I think he means what is the ceiling for a team generally going to be under those circumstances? For this year or next year? I don't know if I understand the question. I think he means in general when freshmen and sophomores are scoring 73% oh. of your points and none it's, of them are first-rounders. Uh, what, what's that? What's the what's the ceiling for that kind of team look like? Yeah, I mean, I guess usually not great when you're, you know, you're, you're led by such young guys. And I guess I get the point now. It's more – they're not – it's not like a top-10 recruit coming in who's like um, – Sharif Cooper at Auburn, where you know you expected him to be the the the, uh, the their number one scorer once he got eligible, although that team's not very good. So um, I, I don't know. It's a difficult question to answer because you got to look at the rest of the team. And you know, w- one of the positives of this stretch is that the seniors are playing well, and um, that's what you want. You want your seniors to play well always. One of the negatives is those guys won't be back next year. So um, you know. Uh, I don't, again, I don't really know how to answer the question. You know, do, do you want young guys scoring? Sure you do, because it, it bodes well for the future. Um, but the good programs that, you know, the phrase in college basketball, it's such a cliche, but it's true. You know, you want to get old and stay old. Um, and what, what your hope is that this nucleus stays together and then gets old together. And then you're always adding in some young guys who are more complimentary role players, like a guy like Miles Studi, you know, who, who's shown flashes this year. He's played well at times, hasn't played well at other times, but that's kind of what, sure, do you want all freshmen to be good? Yeah, but you like freshmen like that who can come in and and you can tell that he can be a good player in the SEC. They don't need to rely on him now. Well, let's answer it a different way, okay? They are 2-8 and eight in the league right now, which is last, although they actually moved ahead of Texas A&M and Ken Palm's overall rankings this weekend, which probably – doesn't mean anything pragmatically might mean a little bit in terms of assessing where they are in the job he's doing but I'll say this um and and maybe it's not much but it's something if the seniors play the way they're playing now and they're healthy I think you're looking at a team that could battle for 10-11 in the standings this year if they catch a break or two I mean Maybe you got a chance to vault A&M, which you're technically behind in the standings right now. Uh, I wonder when or if those guys play again. Then you've got South Carolina at 3-7. and seven. Vanderbilt's already beaten those guys once. Georgia at 5-8. and eight. You know, that game goes down to the wire in Athens. Georgia wins, uh, but it was a close one. I mean, all of a sudden, you're looking at a team that's in that spot of – and I know the tournament's different this year, right? Because it's – Auburn's not going to play so – now twelve thirteen is the only Friday night game, but under a normal circumstance, well, boy, it's still tough to avoid that that eleven fourteen game or twelve thirteen game. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's an argument with the break uh, that that plays out a little differently if the seniors give them what they gave them Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I think if you. And every team has, has what ifs, no doubt about it. But if you would have restarted the SEC season with no COVID, uh, you know, breaks for this team and, and Max Evans doesn't start shooting one for 23 and Cleavon Brown's healthy, I think this team is, you know, could have maybe been a 500. The way they're playing now at least could have been flirted with 500 in the SEC. Have they been more or less affected 
substantially by COVID than other teams. I mean, I don't know how to answer that. I haven't like taken a deep dive in everybody's uh, roster today. This this guy missed this many games or this many practices. I don't. I don't know. I, I sense that they're maybe a little bit worse off, but maybe not significantly worse uh, off than your average team. I would say, just off the top of my head, thinking I probably top quarter most affected in the SEC. I think South Carolina has been very affected. They had a big pause early. Tennessee had a big pause. Not that you want a big pause, but probably the best time, like in non-conference play, sort of. Now they didn't get as many non-conference games to iron things out, but they got kind of healthy right when SEC season started. Vanderbilt has had a couple starts and stops where they haven't even been able to practice. I think that's kind of hurt them early. You know, Texas A&M is obviously dealing with it right now. Um, some programs don't seem like it's affected them much. Florida of late. So it, it, uh, it's back in, you know, it, it's a difficult question to answer. Um, with a lot of y- young guys that Vanderbilt has, it probably hurt, with, you know, in December when they had those breaks there. Um, but I think, you know, I kind of made this point, I think we were talking a couple of weeks ago, they have, I don't think it's a coincidence they've started to play better maybe in those weeks where they did miss some games that weren't, like the, the week that they missed the game that it was Texas A&M had the COVID problems and in theory Vanderbilt was healthy. You know, they had a full week of practice. Um, and then, you know, in theory, the more, the more you practice, the, the better you can get. So I think that's probably helped them. Okay, given the roster situation created by the prior staff, what is the right period of time to evaluate Jerry Stackhouse's team's performance? I think next year, I mean, depending on what the roster looks like, if everyone comes back and uh, you'd like to see some, and, and everyone's, there's, there's no weird situations like this year with COVID, you'd like to see some significant progress. Um, what does that mean? Uh, you know, we'd have to kind of see, what, again, what the roster looks like. Are there any transfers? Or, um, But, um, yeah, I, I think year three is when you need to see some progress. It's not the be-all, end-all year. You know, it used to be five years in football and basketball. You give a coach, that's kind of not really the case anymore. Um, uh, but I, I think next year you, you, you would, again, you'd like to see a significant jump up. I'm thinking back to Kevin Stallings, and I don't have it in front of me, but I think he's, what, 8-8 eight and eight the first year or whatever they were, they they got yeah. job for the NC term. Then three really lean years before he turns it around with his next group of those guys are all seniors. I don't know how many coaches have done the Kevin Stallings career path to where there's three pretty awful years right that out of your first four, and then they get it right for a long period of time. I'm guessing it was probably in the minority then, and I'm guessing now it's even more scarce to find that. Yeah, and it was sort of the perfect storm and credit those guys, that, that group of kids, you know. Um, they go three and thirteen in Kevin's third year, and you had Matt Frege, Russell Lakey, Scott Hunley. Those guys all stuck with it. They stuck together. Now it's kind of a different era. More people transfer now and all that, you know, grad transfer wasn't really a thing back then, but they stuck together and that was a that was a good eight and eight team. Obviously they went to sweet sixteen, but you know, the SEC was pretty strong that year. And then after that, I mean, Kevin goes eight and eight, eight and eight, seven and nine, ten and six, ten and six, eight and eight, twelve and four, nine and seven, ten and six, eight and ten, seven, eleven, nine and nine, eleven and seven. So, you know, after those first three years, um, was, was had a really good run there. And there was a lot of talk in 2003, whether he'd be back for, for year five and they, they stuck with him. Um, and that led by that senior group uh, really turned the program around. Yeah, maybe the best coaching job he ever did there, that group. 
Yeah, it was it was a and they kind of switched up their offense. They went with a, a Princeton style offense, and um, yeah, it was it was it was a good team. You know, certain years eight and eight, it doesn't um, you know necessarily from the SEC get you in, but they had some good wins that year. And would they they had a good run in the SEC tournament, ended up being a sixth seed, so really weren't close to not making it. Yeah, that was a strong eight and eight. They were, I think, unblemished or close to it out of conference. And then that win against Mississippi State, which was in the top five at the time, those were the things I think that really cinched it for them. That was a that was a strong eight and eight SEC yeah, team. We don't we didn't really talk about um, Ken Palm back then, but they were twenty three in Ken Palm that year. That's very high for an eight and eight SEC team. Yeah, and good on both sides, 23 on offense and 30 on defense, which is – that's kind of the mark of a good team where you're, you're really solid on both ends. Let's see, experience, they were – well, Ken didn't track it then, but I bet they were one of the more experienced teams in the country. Yeah, they were all senior – Mario Moore was a sophomore, I think, but they were – the core of that team were, were, were seniors. They got some tough draws in the tournament, too. I mean, Western Michigan was 31 in Ken Palm. That was a 6-11 game. So that was a Western Michigan team that was underseeded. And NC State, I didn't realize, was 9 in Ken Palm that year, too. They they got seeded about, well, the, right in that range. But uh, and then not, not, played, an easy, not an easy draw in the tournament, yeah. Yeah, and then played the eventual national champion. Right, we're just... That wasn't UConn, gonna happen. Yeah. They could have played ten times and probably not won one of those. But that was that was a great UConn team. Oh my goodness, they were they were so good. Well, with that, Mitch, I know you've got stuff to do and need to run, but I'll give you the floor to tease your Twitter account and anything coming up at the Athletic. Uh, not a ton going on. Um, college football offseason, but but hard at work and uh, at Twitter at Mitch Light. All right, thank you, sir. All right, take care, Chris. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thanks for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Should have more of these coming later this week.